Today I'll be reading from Philippians 4, 21 through 23. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. The reader at the first service, you could be seated. Reader at the first service said, what are we going to do with three verses? <laughs> I'll tell you what we're going to do with three verses. We're going to review the book of Philippians that we've been in for a few months. And in particular, we're going to trace a thread that goes through that whole book. But before we get to what that thread is, I want to talk to you about legacies. I've been thinking about legacies lately. One legacy I've been thinking about is in the basketball world. Anybody know who this coach is? Am I the only basketball <laughs> fan in the world? Wow. This is, or is it too small? This is yes, small. Coach K from Duke University. Anybody know what his real last name is? Nobody says it usually. Shishevsky. Yes. Good job. Shashevsky. Coach K has coached at Duke for 41 years. One of, one of the things I think about when I think about his legacy is perseverance. It's becoming more and more rare in today's world, people that stick it out when, when times get tough. 41 years. And I want you to hear just a couple of the facts about his legacy. The one or two of you who like basketball will appreciate this. <laughs> 41 years, okay, he had 38 20-win seasons. And to put that in context, the maximum season length in the NCAA is 27 games. 38 20-win seasons. Almost 1,200 wins. He had 146 wins under his belt before his successor was even born in 1987. He only missed the March Madness tournament five times in all those 41 years. He made it to 12 Final Fours and won five national titles. That's a legacy. Now, unfortunately, in the last couple of weeks, he lost his last home game during the season. And then yesterday, he lost the, the, their conference tournament game. I was kind of bummed by that. But when we get to March Madness, unless the Buckeyes make it, that's, that's our team. <laughs> I'm going to be pulling for this guy, partially because of the legacy that he's left. But I think about that legacy. I also think about a much more profound legacy, uh, a spiritual legacy left to us by the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Philippians that we've been in the past few months. I believe, along with many, that after he wrote Philippians from house arrest in Rome, he was then released to minister more, and then arrested again in an arrest and imprisonment that led to his execution. It was during that second imprisonment that he wrote the book of 2 Timothy, where he talked about fighting the good fight. And I think about his execution. I think about his legacy. And I want you to just imagine with me, through, through the words of author James Stalker, as he writes about the day of Paul's execution and the legacy that he left, he, he imagines what that day may have been like. Just listen with me. He writes, the trial ended, 
Paul was condemned and delivered over to the executioner. He was led out of the city with a crowd of the lowest rabble at his heels. The fatal spot was reached. He knelt beside the block. The headsman's axe gleamed in the sun and fell. And the head of the apostle of the world rolled down in the dust. So sin did its uttermost and its worst. Yet how poor and empty was sin's triumph. 10,000 times 10,000 welcomed Paul in the same hour at the gates of the city, which really is eternal. Even on earth, Paul could not die. In 10,000 churches every Sabbath and on a 1,000,000 hearths every day, his lips still teach that gospel of which he was never ashamed. You talk about a legacy. We could trace a bunch of threads of the legacy that Paul left us. Now, Paul would be quick to say, it's all for God's glory, right? But he was also the one that in Philippians 4, you remember, he said, whatever you have heard from me, whatever you have learned from me, whatever you have seen in me, put into practice. Okay? So what are we going to trace of his legacy today. We're going to trace the legacy of joy, of rejoicing. Because if you've been noticing as we traveled through this book of Philippians the last several months, that theme of joy, of rejoicing, is like a bow that ties it all together. In fact, more than a dozen times in four short chapters, he brings up either joy or rejoicing. Now, before we trace it through the book, I want to define it. What is joy? Well, she's a movie in a Pixar, uh, a character in a Pixar movie, right? Those of you with kids know that. <laughs> but this morning, I want to tell you there's a whole lot more to it than that. I want to talk about the biblical definition of joy, even though I like that movie. The IVP Bible Dictionary gave us a nice summary. It's a quality and not simply an emotion founded upon and derived from God. When he says not simply an emotion, I think of a couple things. Number one, it's not anti-emotion because sometimes emotion is part of our joy. But it's also not dependent upon emotion. But the second part is probably the most important. It's founded upon and derived from God. Listen to a couple Old Testament verses that bring this out. Psalm 4, 7, the psalmist says to God, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You have. Isaiah my wife's favorite book of the Bible, she said if she could have only one book of the Bible, it would be Isaiah. He associates joy with the coming of the fullness of God's salvation. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. You get to the New Testament, you see joy hovering around the major events of Jesus' life. Think about his birth. 
right? The, the angels, Luke 2.10, the, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Palm Sunday, which is coming up on us quickly, April 10th. As he was drawn near the gate, Luke 19, 37, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Then you get to the book of Acts where we're tracing Paul and Peter's and others, others' ministry in the church. And Acts 13, in the context of Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, we see it again, Acts 13, 52, it says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now we know from Jesus' time with his disciples in the upper room leading up to the cross that joy is connected to deep fellowship with God through Jesus. What did he say in John 16, 22? He said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. One last thing here. We know that joy from Galatians 5 is what? A fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's that mean? It's, it comes as we abide in Christ, the vine. We are the branches. As we walk with Him, trust Him, rest in Him, it comes through us as a fruit. I'm thankful that scholar Merrill Tenney is quick to add this. He says, joy is not the same as happiness, which depends largely on happenings, as joy may be experienced even in affliction. I'm thankful for that definition, because those of you who have traveled with us for a while know that leading up to Christmas, we had a preaching series called crying out for Christmas based on the book of Lamentations. And we talked about what Paul said, even in the New Testament, we groan in this world. So you might be thinking, okay, how do we go from talking about groaning in Lamentations to rejoicing in Philippians? Are those contradictory ideas? Are they mutually exclusive? No. No, they're not. I, I summarize it as this. Jo joy, joy can coexist with our groaning. Just like a lighthouse continues to shine even in the darkest ocean storm. They can coexist in this world. So this morning I want to share three things that believers in Jesus Christ can rejoice in no matter what is happening. No matter what is happening. And that's important, right? Because life happens. Somebody asked me at the first service, where'd you get that shiner on your forehead? Well, last week when Aaron and I got here and I was opening the gate out there that lets you in between the two buildings, I was talking to Aaron while I opened it. And that gate has a stopping point that I wasn't ready for. So I'm talking to Aaron. Dong! <laughs> Sometimes life is like that. Life happens. Whether it's in your personal sphere or you look at world events, that's why we need to know we can rejoice no matter what is happening. And as I share these three things, coming out of each one, I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray to the Father about that. Now, I don't know how prayer strikes you, 
But I want to tell you something Kevin from our first service said. Last time we had a prayer service, sometimes they're planned, but the last one happened because I came down sick. And Kevin texted me after the prayer service. I was at home recovering, and he said, I'm glad you were sick <laughs> because I really needed that prayer service. And I said, well, <laughs> well Kevin, thank you. <laughs> you know, we try to do whatever we can for the good of the body at the church next door. But I pray that's how it is for you this morning. That this opportunity to slow down and talk with your father who invites you to do that would be viewed as a precious opportunity that encourages you. But before we do that, I'll set up each of these three prayer moments coming out of them. Annie will play some instrumental music as you pray. The first one I want to talk to you about, first thing you can rejoice in, no matter what is happening in your life, is actually a person. You can rejoice in Christ. I want to highlight the word in each of these verses so you see it there in bright yellow. You may even want to go through the book of Philippians when you get home and circle joy or rejoice in your own Bible so you see it. Rejoice in Christ. Philippians 1, 19 through 21. Yes, and I will rejoice. Writing from imprisonment, right? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Next one. These ones share something in common. What do they both say? Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, that, that is a command. That's a command. As much as it is, I also see it as an invitation. We could live there if we choose to by faith the power of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So as we head into our first prayer session, I just want to say a couple things. When he talks about to, to live is Christ, to die is gain, life and death pretty much cover it all, right? That's a pretty good summary. No matter what is going on in our lives and in our world, we can rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he is at hand. He is near. That can mean one of two things. His coming is soon, which is biblically true, but also that he's near to whatever situation you're going through this morning. So as we go into this first prayer time, I want to encourage you to ask God to remind you of who he is. Like maybe start by asking him to remind you of, of some of your favorite accounts from the Bible. Maybe, maybe a name of God or an account where he went to work on behalf of his people. You can rejoice in that. Ask him to remind you of a time in your own life, in your past, where he came through for you. You could rejoice in that. And then whatever you're facing today, I want to ask you, what aspect of who God is, what truth about who he is 
do you need the most right now? You can rejoice in that. Take a few moments and rejoice in the Lord in prayer.
so that was the bedrock, right? Rejoice in Christ. Now I want to talk to you about the second one. Rejoice in the body of Christ, the church. In fact, when it comes to rejoicing and joy in the book of Philippians, it came up most in this context. Paul loved the other believers in the body of Christ. He rejoiced in them. Watch this thread. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's go on. There's a few of these. Philippians 2, 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Pause there one moment, Stetson. What does he say would complete his joy? When the church loved each other the way Christ loved, in unity and, and humility and putting others first, that, that completed his joy. Next one, Philippians 2.17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and, and rejoice with you all. What does that mean? He's saying, even if my service to you ends up costing me my life, I rejoice. I rejoice. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Next one, Philippians 2.28. I am the more eager to send him. Who? Epaphroditus. You remember the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus with a gift and a check on Paul, and he, he came down sick. The Philippians were concerned about him. So Paul says, I'm the more eager to send him back, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. He knew they would be happy to see Epaphroditus was well, and their rejoicing mattered to him. So with that in mind, as we prepare to pray about rejoicing in the church, the body of Christ, what I want you to do is just pause a moment when we pray. Thank God by name for specific members in the body of Christ, whether this one or another church that you are a part of, thank God for those people, perhaps the way they've encouraged you in your life. Then spend some time, think about the other people in the body of Christ that have some needs you know of. Spend a moment or two praying for the needs that those people have. Pray that we would walk with each other as Christ did, with love and humility, putting others ahead of ourselves. And then I think it'd be good if we ask God to have his heart, that sacrificial heart that says, even if my service is a sacrifice, I'm going to rejoice because of the good that it does to that other brother or sister and the glory that it brings to God. Let's pray.
of being able to meet together. We pray that you accept this offering of prayer and praise to you. us into our third and final prayer session this morning. The third one is rejoice in the spread of the good news of Jesus. This one comes up in one primary verse, Philippians 1, 17 and 18. You remember the context, Paul is imprisoned and there are some people preaching Christ for good motives. They want people to be saved and advance the kingdom. There are other, others preaching Christ for not so good motives. They kind of want to get a one-up on Paul and step on his head while he's in prison. Paul uses the word to afflict him right here. Look what he says. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's a human. That had to hurt 
when he knew there were people actively seeking to afflict him. But he rejoiced. Why? Because Christ was being proclaimed. People were being saved by the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a joy that, that comes with that. I shared last week with you all about a couple that got saved at Dunkin' Donuts a week ago Friday as I watched them receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I followed up with them this Friday preparing for their baptism. And the man told me again about how it was this near-death experience about a year ago that woke him up. That, hey, God is sparing me for a reason. Fast forward a year, they, that reason, he said, I need to be saved. But what he told me in this second meeting, he said, for the past year, I've had this apprehension on me, this fear, like I knew something wasn't right between me and God. But he said, that's gone now. It's gone now. That apprehension is gone. That's something worthy of rejoicing. Is it not? That's, that's why we're here. Do you rejoice in the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ? I want to prepare us to pray on this. Even though that had to hurt Paul, his eyes were lifted higher, even in the middle of his own pain, right? Even in the middle of his trial, he's wrestling with eternal matters. Is the gospel being proclaimed? Are people being saved from an eternity in hell? Answer was yes, and in that, he rejoiced. So as we prepare to pray for this, I, I think it'd be good. What if we thank God for his shepherd's heart? In Jesus Christ, the shepherd that would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one that is lost, even at great cost to the shepherd. Then he rejoices when that one lost sheep is found. That's our Savior. What if we ask him through the spirit within us to give us the same kind of heart that, that even when life is hard, even when I'm going through a trial, that our hearts would say, so long as Christ is proclaimed, I will rejoice, even in this trial. Let's pray.
Father, as we think about this theme of rejoicing, I'll be the first to confess. I know it's a choice to rejoice, and there are many times in my life I, I have not made that choice. Many times I do not. I choose another path for a time, and yet we acknowledge that this is a command to rejoice in all things. It's also an invitation. Our joy is not dependent on what we're going through or what the world is going through. It's, it's deeper than that. Like that lighthouse in the middle of a stormy sea. And I, I pray, Lord, first I confess that and I ask that you would help us, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to choose to rejoice first in Jesus, uh, Lord, and to rejoice in the, the brothers and sisters we have in the body of Christ and to rejoice in the spread of the gospel, even even when life is hard, that eternal salvation of those who need to meet you, perhaps some of whom are here this morning. If so, draw them home to the Savior who died for their sin on the cross and rose again, that they might be saved. Father, I pray that we would heed Paul's other words, the invitation, the command to, to pray without ceasing, that moments like this would not be once in a while on a Sunday morning, but that you invite us through Jesus to, to come boldly to your throne every moment of every day with our rejoicing, with our groaning, with our tears, with our needs, with all of it. Thank you for that invitation. May we take you up on that. And I pray specifically when I think of the last one, Lord, to rejoice in the spread of the gospel of Christ that that as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I, I pray for overflow from this body of Christ and every body of Christ that follow, follows Jesus. Uh, Lord, that we would pray for opportunities, that we would look for those open doors, and that we would seize the moment. We are here as, for such a time as this, Lord. Please use us to that end. Lord, I pray even as we take our offering this morning that that would come from hearts that are just rejoicing in you, hearts of gratitude, and Lord, that you'd use it both for the ministry here and to bless those people on the front lines in Ukraine right now as they show and speak your love to the hurting in the face of that awful war. In Jesus' name, amen.